Well, we are finishing Matthew chapter 18 this morning. We've been talking about sin, and we're still talking about sin. Um, we've gone through what the seriousness of sin is. If you remember, this whole chapter started with the disciples asking the question, who's the greatest in the kingdom, right? And Jesus kind of showed them. I got a prop this morning. Be careful how hard I lay that down. You know, they're all on their their soapbox, right? They're standing up. Who's the greatest? Who's the highest? And Jesus is like, the greatest in my kingdom is the one like this child, the lowest, the one that you would see as as, as the least. In fact, even to get into my kingdom, you've got to be broken and, and poor of spirit. You have to be humble like this child, even, even to be a part of this kingdom. And, and kind of what he was showing is what they were standing on was pride and, and sinfulness, really, as in comparing each other, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And, and the economy of this kingdom is to take those that are the least, the humble, those are the ones exalted, and the proud are brought down. So the issue of sin became really the, the theme of this chapter. And we went through and saw really the seriousness of sin, how God sees it, right? And there's a weight of sin. And, and, and we're under it. Ugh. It's heavy. And it's impossible for us to deal with and, and really... This chapter is not fully showing us God's solution for sin, but it's there behind the scenes, right? Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to take care of the sin problem. But now he is talking about his kingdom that's about to come. Believers among the body, how they're going to interact with sin, with, with each other. How do, how do we do that? How do we deal with sin in our lives, in our families, in our marriages? And and truly sin presents a barrier between us and God, right? It's this weight that we're under and it separates us from God. And even as believers, as we we let sin back into our lives, it, it becomes this barrier between us. It breaks down fellowship that we have with God. And then we looked last week at the at that final question, which really this this morning we're continuing the same topic. It's when someone else sins against me, right? A barrier shows up there as well. A barrier of hostility. What do we want to do, right? That barrier comes with our sense of justice, right? We want fairness. We demand of the person on the other side of that barrier that they pay to make things right. And, and we looked at just even our, our, our court system. That's what suing each other is all about, right? To, to make right. But then we realized in God's kingdom, making right is not what's most important. It's the person that's, that I'm separated from, right? That, that's what's most valuable. And as we come to realize that as people among God's people in His kingdom, we have a whole different way than the world. 
And God's purpose throughout all of this as he's dealing with sin and helping us to see the seriousness of sin, right? And, and to, to, to deal with sin between each other, the whole purpose is to get rid of this barrier. It's his love, it's his grace that, that would have us have fellowship with him, no barriers, and fellowship with each other. So that was last week we went into a process, and it really is a process showing what do you do when someone sins against you? This shows up, and this is in your hand. What do you do? And implicitly, in that picture was this idea of forgiveness. This wasn't even in the picture, right? From the very beginning, what I'm seeking is to get my brother back, to get my sister back. I'm not looking for justice, right? And so implicitly in that whole process of go to them, tell them their fault, and if they don't respond, then, then bring a couple others, right? And if they don't respond, bring it to the church, seeing the church as this, this ultimate authority to appeal to. Why? so that we can get rid of this. That's why. But implicitly in there was the topic of forgiveness, and this is where we're going to pick up this morning. Matthew chapter 18, in verse 21. Then, this is after Jesus has told them about that whole process, the authority of the church. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison that he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to learn from it. Help us to understand it rightly. Holy Spirit, you're working in us. Just pray that you do a work in us this morning, that we'd be convicted, that we'd learn a greater understanding of your ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it begins with Peter approaching 
Jesus after Jesus has been saying all these things. And Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter thought he was being generous. If you look up um, in the Talmud, the, the, the teaching of the rabbis, or what they understood that time, to forgive a repeated offense three times was considered a good measure, right? Here Peter's saying, I think he's probably thinking, okay, he's going to pat me on the back for this one. How many times? Seven times, right? That's a good, good Bible number. It's a complete number, right? Seven times, that's how many times I should, re, I, I should forgive someone who, who keeps repeating the same offense. And what does Jesus say? No, 77 times, or in some, some translations, 70 times seven. It's not, it's not like Jesus is setting another bar. It's hyperbole to say, no, there's no limit. You don't stop forgiving, even, even though they repeat and repeat and repeat. And it's the same offense over and over again. This forgiveness is without limit. And if we look in, in um, Luke chapter 17, uh, there, it's kind of the first four verses of Luke cover all of chapter 18 of, of Matthew. If we could just go there, we would have gotten through this in one week. But, but in, in, in Luke chapter 17... Um, in verse 3, you put that on the screen because I didn't put a bookmark in. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. This is, just, this is combining the last section in this one. Uh, and then go to the next verse, in verse 4. And if he sins against you seven times in the day. See, Luke adds another detail of what Jesus was saying. Seven times even in one day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent. You must forgive him. For me, if I got to that seventh time, I'd be questioning the repentance, right? But this is the limitless forgiveness that Jesus is calling for. There's no limit on how many times. There's, there's no limit on how, how often to consider real repentance. I'd be going, wait, where, where, didn't you just repent for this? You keep, you keep hurting me. This is all in one day. But Jesus is saying, no, there's no limit, Peter. No limit to this forgiveness. Well, then it continues. Because Jesus is going to give a reason. I don't know about you, but limitless forgiveness like that, it, it goes against reason, Right? If I didn't have the Bible telling me this, my reason, my good judgment would say, no, there needs to be a limit. Right? At some point, this person is just taking advantage of me. There, there's something here. This person isn't genuine. The repentance isn't real. There needs to be a limit. But Jesus is, is saying, no, there's no limit. And then he gives us this parable to show us why. Why? Is there no limit? Verse 23, therefore, he says, the kingdom of heaven, again, this is, what, what is, what is the treatment of sin within his kingdom, within his church? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 
talents. A talent is the largest unit of measure for money back then, right? It, it's approximately 20 years of standard wages. It's a lot of money, right? How many talents? 10,000 talents. Anybody do the math on that? That's a lot of years, right? That's 200,000 years, something of, of normal wage. Again, hyperbole. Jesus, it's not like, Jesus is saying it's an impossible debt that this person had to pay. 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. This is, if you go into Old Testament law, this is the law's response to a debt that can't be paid, right? And that's what's significant here. An impossible debt and the law's response is sell into slavery, right? Of course, Jesus is paralleling, picturing the debt that we have that is our sin before God. It's an impossible debt. We can't pay it. We might have this idea, oh, if I'm just, if I go to church on Sunday, right? That'll be enough to, to counter, to, to balance out those things that I did wrong during the week. You're not seeing the, the, the level of debt that our sin creates with God. We can't pay it back. We can't reconcile that debt. That, and that's what he's picturing here. The kingdom of heaven is, you've got a servant who's got an impossible debt. He says, I can't pay. And there's the law's response. And then in verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. He's not going to be able to pay him anything. Sometimes I think we, we'd have that same response, God, I'll, I'll, I'll do better, I'll do good. Or if that's ever in your vocabulary with God, realize this is the position you're in. You're facing a debt you can't pay and there's no amount of good things or, or reformation in your life that's going to reconcile the debt. That's the situation we're in before God. But then in verse 27, out of pity for him, the mercy of the Master, out of pity for him, the master of that servant re released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found out, he found one of his fellow servants who had owed him a hundred denarii, right? Sin against God, now I've got, my brother has sinned against me, a debt that's owed me, right? How much is a hundred denarii? A denarii was about a day's wage. Among people, a hundred days of wages, that's a good amount of money. What does it compare to 200,000 years of wages? Nothing, right? There's no comparison between the two, and that's part of the point here. Something significant to us, that's a real hurt. That's really something that hurt me. There, there's a, a, a debt I'm going to demand for that hurt. But Jesus is drawing a comparison to what we have been forgiven for our own sin. How does this man respond? 
Seizing him, he began to choke him, right? Saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow, his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. On purpose, this is a repeat of what we just saw, right? What was between the servant and the master and now the servant and his fellow servant. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. That word for jailers actually has, it's not just jailer, it's tormentor, right? I think in here we're seeing a similar uh, thing that, that, that Jesus was doing with, with the topic of sin, right? Sin is serious. If your, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? It's, it was hyperbole, but it was... It was to show us the seriousness of sin and the consequence of sin is, is great. And here I think also Jesus is showing us the seriousness of withholding forgiveness from each other is a big deal to God, right? This isn't something to be taken lightly. So also, he says in verse 35, He's now stepping out of the, the parable. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now this is talking about the community of believers. I don't think this is talking about the issue of are you saved or not. But I do think Absolutely. If I withhold forgiveness from my brother or sister, what can I expect in the fellowship that I have with the Father? Things aren't going to be good. I'm piling up sin, doing wrong things. I need to be able to go before the Father and say, Cleanse me of this. Forgive me of this. I, I need right fellowship with you again. This is not an issue of salvation. We are His children because we put our faith in Him. But if I withhold forgiveness, I'm not going to get that forgiveness. There's an issue that needs to be resolved. This is serious to God. We see this uh, in the Lord's example prayer, right? Uh, forgiveness from God needs to be paired with forgiveness, my brother. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those indebted to us. Same picture. It's a debt. Every day I need to be praying God, every, probably more than once a day. I, for me, more than once a day. Lord, I messed up again. I, the way I answered my son, the way I talked to my wife, the way I what, just looked at that billboard, right? God, I'm, I'm piling up sin. And it's breaking my fellowship with you. And I go back to 1 John 1, 9. 
we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us, right? That's restoring that fellowship and relationship with God. But there at the end of the Lord's Prayer, He even explains it further. Um, uh, in Matthew chapter, chapter 6, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about fellowship with God. It's talking about the barrier that our sin brings between us and God. I'm still His child with my kids. When they're fighting with each other, that doesn't please me. Do you think that they can just have a good old relationship with Dad while they're fighting with each other? No. Kids, you need to get right. That's the same, and, and to much a greater extent, God wants His children to enjoy fellowship together. It's not just fellowship with Him. The same love of God that went to such great lengths to send His Son to die on the cross for my sin, to pay the penalty for my sin, so that I can have fellowship with Him. That same love is the love then that says you need to be in fellowship with each other. Forgive each other as I have forgiven you. Have mercy on each other as I have had mercy on you. Love each other as I have loved you. His purpose is good. His purpose is that we're free from sin, free from the consequence of sin. What do I need to take away from this? I'm just praying through that this week. Lord, what is it that I really need to take, that we need to take away from this? I think one of the biggest things, it's the first point in the notes, I need to realize the depth of His forgiveness. I need to realize the depth of His forgiveness. There's a parable we see in, in Luke where... Jesus gets invited over to a Pharisee's house, right? And as he's there, there's, it's described, she's described as a, a woman of the city who is known as a sinner. You can fill in from there, right? She hears that Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. So she comes in and comes behind him and weeping begins to wash his feet. And she brought this ointment and starts putting ointment on his feet. And, and in, in, the, in Luke, it says that the, the Pharisee, just in his mind, was thinking, if Jesus only knew who this lady was, he would not let her do that. She's a sinner, right? Of course, Jesus knew what he was thinking. He says, and tells the Pharisee, I want to tell you something. Okay, tell me something. There's a, a money lender, and there's two debtors. One, one owes 500 denarii, the other owes 50. Neither of them can pay, and the money lender forgives both their debts. Which one loves the money lender more? Well, I guess the one who was forgiven more, right? The, the 500. He says, that's exactly it. I came into this house 
And you didn't anoint my head with oil. But this woman, since I came in, has been anointing my feet with oil. You didn't give me a kiss, but she's been kissing my feet. You didn't give me anything to wash, but, but she's been washing my feet with her hair and her tears. See, that's the picture of one who's been forgiven much. They love much. And Lord, convict my heart to make me soft and realize how much I have been forgiven so that my heart is not like the, the hardness of the Pharisee. Because the Pharisee had just as much sin, right? But he didn't see it. And I think if, if we can really grasp the depth of the love and the mercy of God, you know, he says 10,000 talents of debt, right? It's, it's just to say there's a, an enormous unpayable debt that I have because of my sin before God. And to realize what Christ accomplished on the cross for me. If I can grasp that, then what will come out of that? One who has been forgiven much will love much, and this forgiveness of Christ will come out of me, right? The one who is willing to, to take whatever justice comes with the hurt against them and say, no, I have been forgiven so much, how could I hold anything against someone else? Say, no, I won't. It's nothing compared to what I have been forgiven. I have a new lease on life. I was facing eternity of suffering that was justice for my sin. And God had mercy. Anything someone could do to me in this world does not compare to that. So I need to know. Jesus says, no limits on forgiveness. Why? Because there's no limits on the forgiveness He has for me. It doesn't matter how many times I mess up. It doesn't matter how often I mess up. The promise of 1 John 1, 9 still stands if I've confessed my sin. And there have been times, nine times in a day, ten times in a day, right? Like, there I go again. An angry response to my brother or sister or, or whatever it is. And, and God's convicting me in some area. I think it's His grace that doesn't show me all of my sin, right? I can't work on all of it at once. But there's something to say, David, you need to fix that. And then, again, 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 again. And there, His grace, His forgiveness. Every time I can, oh, God, I did it again. Sometimes I begin to doubt my own heart, my own repentance, right? But He is still there faithful with no limits, that is the why of why we are supposed to extend the same kind of forgiveness to each other because of what He has extended to us. So I read in Psalm 103, David writing in his psalm says, He, God, does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us and throw them, right? Or in Isaiah, I, God says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. In Isaiah in chapter 40, for I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. His purpose. He loves the person on the other side of the offense more than the justice for the offense. And so he went to such great lengths to die for that offense for you and me. We just need to meditate on that. Meditate on His words to know His love and the extent of His grace and mercy and let that set in to the very pores of our being so that then we will have a right attitude towards those who have such a, a lesser sin or offense against us. What is forgiveness? As I was digging into this, I'm realizing... That's an important question to answer. I think what I've understood forgiveness to be hasn't quite been an exact match to what the Bible describes as forgiveness. And so this has been a good exercise for me too, is just to, to understand what is it God is calling for in forgiveness. And so to my best ability of taking all the pieces together that I understand from God's Word, I, I tried to come up with a definition. Now, this is not Bible. I'm sure if, if we dig in further, we can, we can bring even more clarity. But here's a definition, and it's in your notes. Choosing to accept repentance and remove the record of wrong. Biblical forgiveness. Choosing to accept repentance and remove the record of wrong. So I have a few things. What forgiveness is not, which will help us, because I, I think there's some things in here that, that we commonly run into. First, forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a choice, right? It's choosing. It's not an emotion. We can get into a mode of saying, well, I'm not ready yet. I don't feel it yet. You know, they're, they're, I'm, 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 I'm not in, in and, and what we're looking for is an emotional and uh, something that's within us uh, is going to be all right with or okay with the offense. And no, that's not, it's, it's a choice. This gets into the second thing. Um, uh, forgiveness is not excusing, right? It's not excusing the offense. It's not saying the offense is okay. And that's some of when we're looking for an emotional response, I need to get to the place where I'm okay with it. No, forgiveness fully recognizes, Jesus fully recognizes the weight of our sin. And yet he chooses to accept the servant who says, I can't pay. Forgive me. He chooses to remove the offense and throw it as far as the east is from the west, right? Forgiveness is not forgetting. You might say, wait, we just read a verse. That, uh, he forgets. And it doesn't say he forgets. It says he doesn't remember. And, and something to, to realize in, in Old Testament, the, the 
The term remember has more, it doesn't mean, if he doesn't remember, it doesn't mean that somehow he had amnesia and completely doesn't know about it anymore. No, he doesn't bring it to remembrance. David sinned, but God has recorded his sin for all time in his word, right? It's not like we don't know about his sin anymore, but David's sin is no longer in the books. It's no longer counted. It's no longer brought forward, right? God remembers his covenant. It's not like he had amnesia and forgot about his covenant. No, it's when he brings his covenant forward to bear, when he brings his promise. It's when he remembers things. And so, but, but we get this idea of, well, for me to really forgive this, I need to forget it. No. Forgiveness, it sees the full weight of it. It knows it's there. But it is a choice to say, I accept the repentance and I will no longer count this against you. That means when we have an argument later, it's not on the table. I've forgiven it. It's not to bring up. If it's brought up again, you never forgave it. Or you've gone back on your choice. It is a willful choice to say it doesn't count anymore. We live in a world of brownie points. In our marriages, it's brownie points. Who's, you know, who's got to rub whose feet, right? Because of where we're at in the balance of brownie points. No, forgiveness is to say, no, I, I've got nothing on my account in my favor. I can't hold anything against you. I've forgiven it. I am humbled. Even if you're accounting stuff against me, I've chosen to forgive. It's no longer on the records. That's forgiveness. Finally, for, forgiveness is, is not tolerance. And here's where I think I've grown in my understanding. Because the, there's a view uh, of forgiveness is really, it's really for the benefit of the one who's forgiving the other person, right? That's where my view has been largely, is forgiveness. And, and, and for me in my heart to, to let go of that, to give it to Christ, right? And, and, and to, to let go of bitterness and, and, and instead to have a heart of love. And that is freeing, Right? And, and I think I've, I've in some ways misidentified that as the forgiveness. Now, that's preparation for forgiveness. That's something that, that we do in the Lord, and it is, it's important for healing to be able to just let go of these offenses and say, no, I, I no longer am going to count that. But here's the thing we see in scriptures. Forgiveness is always in the context of repentance on the other side. Basically, forgiveness is like, I'm, I'm grabbing one side of this block to remove it. But we can't actually remove this from our relationship until repentance comes from the other side to grab the other side. And then we can remove it. And then we have reconciliation. Forgiveness is the final closing step of reconciliation. It's an action that happens between two people. Our forgiveness with God comes when we repent before Him. He has prepared it. He is ready. Justice has already been prepared. 
And for us, be, between us and, and, and our brother or sister, justice has already been prepared in Christ, right? That's already been done. Our, and if our heart is right, and we go into this passage saying, my brother has something against me. My purpose is to regain my brother. And this stands in the way. And so there's implicitly in that process, this hand of forgiveness is on it. It's ready to move it. But it's not going to move until the brother recognizes it's there. Right? And that's why I go to him first. Brother, tell him the fault. And if he listens to you, what is he doing? He's grabbing the other side. Yeah, I'm so sorry. And together, whew, you throw that out. And your relationship is reconciled that things are, are together again, right? Now, part of forgiveness is... Uh, for, forgiveness is not just saying, well, this is okay, right? We're recognizing the seriousness of that. And what goes with that is forgiveness doesn't imply trust, right? If, if there's a situation of abuse and, and there's a reason why there's separation... Forgiveness can be real and forgiveness can remove the offense and account of it, but there may be trust that still needs to be built, right? You're recognizing the seriousness of it, but you're making a choice to no longer count that, to receive the repentance, to receive, please forgive me, I am sorry, I receive that, I, I forgive that. When I'm saying I forgive that, I'm saying I no longer count it against you. We're not going to have this conversation again. We're not going to get two years down the road and I say, well, well, here's all the times you did this to me. No, I, I'm not counting them anymore. That's forgiveness. How do I prepare for forgiveness? The same way God did. Here's the last point. Forgiveness is prepared by love. What did God do? To prepare the way for forgiveness for our sins. For God so loved the world, He sent His Son to die for us. He's preparing the way for forgiveness, for us to be reconciled to Him. And the same thing is there with us. When someone sins against me, for, for me to take what is naturally there, a sense of justice, a sense of fairness, And to recognize I have been forgiven much. I have been loved. I have been shown greater mercy than I can possibly deal out. It's love that sacrifices my rights, right? It's love that says I'm not okay with not okay. I'm going to go talk to my brother or sister because I want them back. Love prepares the way for forgiveness. Love may communicate forgiveness before that person has ever joined you at, at the offense, right? And, and I love testimonies of, of believers who, who have had something just tragic happen. I, I recall a family, a church we went to in California, uh, their 19-year-old was hit by a drunk driver, another kid. And they didn't press charges. What they were communicating to this other kid was, you're forgiven. 
What, what was the response then of such love preparing the way for forgiveness? He came to them. I am so sorry. And in an impossible situation, that offense was removed. And, and that, that young man became a part of their family. Only God's grace does that. And you hear stories like that. And, and that's, that's love offering forgiveness. But forgiveness doesn't happen until that person responds and, and together say, yes, let's remove it. So if I'm the person on the other side, I need to be listening. If I have someone who loves me so much to approach me and say, hey, brother, you, when you did this, that was hurtful, that, 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 was, that was difficult for me. I need to recognize the love of that person doing that and say, I am so sorry. And for them to extend forgiveness, I'm blessed by that. And our relationship is blessed by it because the barrier is removed. I want to end with a story. It's hard to talk about forgiveness without going to the hiding place, if you've ever read that or seen the movie. Corey Tinboom uh, and her family during the Holocaust, um, World War II, they were helping many Jewish people escape from the Nazis. Uh, they were hiding them in their house, right? And her biography goes through all of that. And then, and then eventually there, the, someone snitched on them and, and they were arrested and, and brought into these concentration camps. Her, her father died right away and she and her sister ended up um, in Ravensbrück. I, if that's, I don't, I'm probably not pronouncing it right. But it's a concentration camp that was um, a women's labor camp in Germany. And she relates just some of the the shame and the horrors of, of what they went through. She and her sister, her sister was, was terribly sick and ill, and here they're being processed through uh, going into this thing. Where all, they're all forced to take off, strip all their clothing off, and go through these showers, and, and the process is just humiliating, right? And here her sister uh, is um, deathly ill, and she's trying to keep hold of the pills, right, as, as all of their things are getting taken away. And, in there, and somewhere in all those things, there had been this little Bible that had been smuggled in. Lord, please help us uh, that we can keep that Bible. And she has such a testimony of what God did in the darkness of that place. And she and her sister had these plans that, that afterward they would create this place of healing. Can you imagine the kind of healing that had to happen? We've had our own needs for healing. But God brings about healing. They had these plans. We're going to have these because they knew that forgiveness would have to happen Be between neighbors who, uh, neighbors that, that had outed other neighbors, right? And, and different things that had happened that for healing, there needed to be forgiveness. And so afterwards, which her sister didn't survive, you know, her, her sister died and, and just 12 days after her sister died, uh, they actually released her. And then she found out later that a week after her release, it was a clerical error that she was even released. And about a week after that, uh, all of the ladies in her age group were taken to the gas chambers. It was, it was God's hand. It's amazing. It's, gonna, it's, it's hard to read anything from Corey Timbu Because it gets very real, right? 
how petty the things that I get upset about when I read this kind of a story. But, but God was present, and, and, and later after all of it, she would go around. She went to the United States and, and Holland and, and Germany and talking about just the, the reality of the joy of the Lord that overcomes despair. And she's talking about her testimony of what she went through. And so this excerpt towards the end of the biography from her, uh, says, As I continued to speak, I traveled all over Holland to other parts of Europe, to the United States. But the place where the hunger was greatest was Germany. Germany was a land in ruin, cities of ashes and rubble. But more terrifying still, minds and hearts of ashes. A great weight hung over that land. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door at the, in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. Suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking guards, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Blomendal, the need to forgive kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. Again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness, any more than on our goodness, that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. That's the reality, church. We can't do this right. But if we just obey and make the choice, God, I choose to forgive. I'm going to extend my hand. He provides the love. He provides the forgiveness. His Holy Spirit in us brings unity in the body and a healthy forgiveness. We just have to trust Him in it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You for the impossible debt that You paid for us. Thank You, God, for sending Your own Son. Thank You, Jesus, for going to the cross so that we don't have to earn anything because we can't. It's not a debt that can be paid, Lord. It's only a debt that can be forgiven. And God, simply through trusting your ways, for believing in your Son and your means of salvation, Lord, we have new life, abundant life, 
life of fellowship with God, fellowship with each other. Lord, help us to live in that, to trust you, to not hold on to bitterness, not hold on to unforgiveness, to not refuse one who's seeking forgiveness from us, but always be ready to make that choice, to choose to forgive. Even when it's practically impossible, I can't imagine being in that position that Corey Ten Boom was. But God, still, you are greater than our weaknesses. So help us, Lord, to extend forgiveness every time it is sought after. To seek each other when there's an offense, Lord, to to make right, even if we imagine that something's there and it's not real, Lord, just to make sure that things are good and okay, Lord. We don't have broken fellowship, but, but we'd be united in you. Lord, in our marriages, I just pray especially for our marriages. Lord, that's something that gets attacked all the time. So easy for things to build up between us. Lord, I just pray for your grace that a mutual uh, ask for forgiveness and a, and a mutual extension of forgiveness would happen within our marriages so that there wouldn't be barriers of hostility, but there'd be unity and love that, that can only happen through your grace your spirit in our marriages. Thank you, Lord, for the life that we have in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling Oh, come to the altar the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets mistakes come today there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling oh come to altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of jesus christ oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the 
precious blood of Jesus Christ Oh, what a Savior is a purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's forgiveness with him is already purchased. Forgiveness with each other has already been purchased. We just have to walk in it. Let's do that, church. I love you, church. Go in the Lord this morning.